Please do turn with me or otherwise give your attention to our Old Testament reading from Deuteronomy chapter 18. Reading verses 15 through 22. Uh, Hear the Lord giving instructions to Israel how they can uh, discern between true and false prophets in their midst. Uh, Looking forward, of course, to the final coming of uh, that great prophet, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. The Word of God, beginning at Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, How may we know the word that the Lord has not how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Turn with me now, if you would, in your New Testaments for our New Testament reading and sermon text this evening from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Consider 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 15 this evening. Again, the word of God. To you. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I am doing, I will continue to do, 
in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. You may be seated. Paul here in 2 Corinthians, uh, this is a several chapters long a section where Paul is defending his relationship to the Corinthian church, his apostleship to them. There's been some tension between uh, the church and between Paul. They're tempted to abandon him and his ministry. And uh, for, for lack of a better term, Paul uh, knows that they have had false teachers and they have been exposed to a great deal of uh, all of our favorite term in recent years, fake news uh, concerning the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't tell you, I have no advice on uh, secular society and anything with fake news with that, but Paul speaks about how to discern the truth of Christ and falsehood, false teaching uh, concerning the gospel, concerning uh, the person and the work of Jesus. And as, as Paul comes to the church, uh, Paul comes to the church, he comes to us through the scripture with this concern that we as believers would hold fast to, as he says in verse 3, a sincere and a pure devotion to Christ. This is the calling of the Christian, and this is the calling of the Christian church, that we would maintain Christ as our devotion and as our aim. And as the Corinthians are, uh, are plagued with these false teachers, these so-called super-apostles, who we'll talk more about in a minute, Paul, uh, Paul comes to the church and says, don't abandon the gospel by following after false teachers, those who would lead you astray, those who would preach to you a, a different gospel, a different Jesus than the one that the apostles proclaimed. And uh, this, brothers and sisters, is still a burden on us today. We just confessed using the, the words of the Apostles' Creed that we believe in one holy and apostolic faith. That this faith taught by the Apostles, by the Apostle Paul, is the faith that we have received as the Christian faith. Uh, that this gospel that Paul proclaimed is the gospel that we believe. This Jesus that Paul uh, served is the same Jesus whom we confess as Savior and Lord. And we may not have a group uh, in our churches calling themselves super apostles, although in some churches there are certainly people who call themselves apostles and believe that that office continues. Uh, but there are all kinds of uh, false teaching that are out there. Uh, if you want to go down the rabbit hole, you can simply start doing internet searches and getting on blogs, and you can find all kinds of spiritual advice uh, that is in error. And you can find many influential teachers and preachers and any even many people who call themselves Christian pastors who do not teach anything resembling 
the gospel of grace in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, crucified and risen from the dead. And as the Apostle Paul comes to the Corinthians, and, uh, and as God's word comes to us, this text is a call to us that we should judge spiritual teaching not according to our own wisdom or preferences, but that we should judge spiritual teaching according to the word of God. That is how we maintain a sincere and a pure devotion of Christ, using the language that Paul uh, has employed uh, has employed earlier in chapter 10, verse 5, uh, where he put it this way, that we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Uh, that in this world where all kinds of teaching is out there, there's all kinds of religious and spiritual opinions, there's all kinds of twistings and perversion of the Christian faith, uh, God calls us, to take our thoughts captive to Christ, to maintain that sincere and pure devotion to Him, to let God's Word be the judge of spiritual truth. I want us to unpack this in uh, three parts from the text. First, in verses 1 to 4, we see Paul uh, pleading with the church to stand firm in the gospel. He calls us to stand firm in the gospel. And then, secondly, as he defends his own apostolic ministry to Corinth, we see that uh, he is cautioning the Corinthians to be slow to abandon true teachers, to be slow to abandon true teachers. And finally, he warns them in verses 12 through 15 that they should not be deceived by false teachers. So stand firm in the gospel, be slow to condemn true teachers, and don't be deceived by false teachers. A couple introductory comments on how I'm using this term in the sermon. Uh, So Paul here is an apostle coming to the Christian church. The office of apostle doesn't continue. So Paul, uh, uh, after the New Testament era, right? So Paul... Uh, comes to the church and says, Corinthians, you need to accept my ministry. If you reject my ministry, you reject Jesus. That's, in effect, Paul's argument throughout this section. Uh, And that is true for us as well. If we reject the apostles' teaching, if we take the New Testament and we throw it out, whatever we've come up with is not the Christian faith. So we are called to receive uh, the apostles' teaching just as those ancient churches were called to receive the apostles' teaching. And so when I am talking now about current true and false teachers, there's a sense in which that's emphatic upon pulpit ministry, people who hold the office of pastor or ruling elder. But I'm using this term in a slightly broader sense. Anyone who's teaching the Christian faith. So perhaps primarily pastors, teachers, people who are up front like myself, but also uh, among ourselves, one another, as we uh, are speaking to one another, the things that you see online, the things that you, uh, that you listen to on podcasts, uh, however it is that you are getting information about spiritual things and the Christian religion, uh, I'm encompassing that under uh, the term of, of teachers here uh, in this sermon. Uh, so don't misunderstand me as thinking that I'm only talking about pastors and elders, uh, although certainly 
you should have a close eye on what your pastors and elders are teaching you and examining it in light of the word of God. And by the grace of God, hopefully we are conforming our thoughts to his word and feeding you well. So Paul's concern here uh, is that the church would stand firm in the gospel. He is about to engage in, uh, in what he calls foolishness, chapter 11, verse 1. He is about to go into a series of, uh, of, of, in some sense, bitingly sarcastic arguments, even if we read a little bit later on into verses 18, 19, and 20, even mocking the Corinthians for their abandoning of the faith, allowing these super apostles to, in the language of verse 20, devour them, take advantage of them, strike them in the face. Now, Paul is really trying to get their attention. They're in danger of abandoning the gospel by leaving Paul, leaving his apostolic ministry. And Paul is afraid, verse 3, that they will be deceived just as Eve was by the serpent and leave Jesus. And he describes this concern in verse 4. His concern is that they would receive a different Jesus or that they would receive a different spirit or if they would accept a different gospel. Standing firm in the gospel, having a sincere and a pure devotion to Christ means that the Jesus that you hear proclaimed from the scriptures is the Jesus that you receive. And how do you stand firm in the faith? Well, you don't modify the gospel. You keep going back to it. You receive God's word as what it is, the very word of God, the word of the apostles as that very same thing. It's not simply the words of Paul, who perhaps was unskilled in speaking, verse 6, even though he knew a lot. No, the apostles were commissioned by Christ to proclaim, uh, to be the foundation of the New Testament church so that we could have a, a compass to guide us in our spiritual life. When you hear teaching, you should be examining the scriptures to see if that teaching is conforming to the gospel of the Lord Jesus, or if it's trying to add to or subtract from it, or teach something different altogether in some way. There are different Jesuses that are proclaimed in the modern age. It is very common, particularly in, uh, in more popular uh, circles of society, to think of Jesus as just a great moral teacher. So Jesus certainly taught moral things. He upheld the moral law of God, but Jesus was not just a great moral teacher or a great philosopher of his time from whom we can learn things. He's the Son of God incarnate, come in the flesh, to be crucified for the sins of his people, to die and be buried for for three days, and then to rise from the dead for our salvation. Those are two very different Jesus that are presented in the world. We must take our thoughts captive to Christ, the Christ of the Scriptures, and not abandon him. And God gives us teachers, and again, I'm using that term perhaps with, a, with a, a primary reference to pastors and elders, but 
more broadly to the teaching ministry of the church, a good example would be things like we all have English translations. Some of you have smartphones where uh, brothers and sisters have gone and uh, they've written code. I don't know what all I don't know what's involved in making a smartphone app, but smart people have served the church by uh, by developing apps that you can read the Bible on your phone, you can study it. Uh, right? These are uh, these are people who have served the church, who serve us. And uh, God gives us teachers, uh, the apostles and now pastors, teachers, evangelists, uh, and our other brothers and sisters in Christ to point us back to Jesus of the Bible. And Paul here, as he is engaged with the Corinthians, he cautions them to be slow to condemn true teachers, emphatically himself. He admits of some of his own weakness, and this is a theme that goes, if you read through First and Second Corinthians, you'll see this theme come up a couple of different times, where, uh, as in verse 6, Paul acknowledges, even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so uh, in knowledge. He's acknowledged this uh, earlier on in chapter 10, uh, verse uh, 9 and 10, where uh, he says, I do, not want to be appeared, I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say uh, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. You can think of earlier in 1 Corinthians where uh, Paul talked about how the gospel doesn't come in the power of wisdom, uh, but through the preaching of Christ and him crucified. So Paul doesn't look very impressive to the Corinthians. You know, we tend to think, oh, I would love the Apostle Paul to be the pastor of my church. But I think the reality is probably that we're more like the Corinthians than we would think. Where if the Apostle Paul was in front of us, we might think just as they did. Well, he talks a good talk in his letters, but his speech is of no account. And he doesn't speak very well. And he put people to sleep in some of his sermons. Uh, you know, he didn't look very impressive to the Corinthians. He, 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 he was a true teacher. He was a true apostle. Uh, but he, he wasn't what the Corinthians were looking for. They wanted to be impressed. They wanted, uh, they wanted a certain outward appearance. And they were attempted to abandon Paul and his ministry because he wasn't doing that. And in addition to his weaknesses... Uh, that the Corinthians were, were tempted to condemn him for and to abandon his ministry for. Uh, there were also misunderstandings between Paul and Corinth, where evidently there's been a charge of sin, verse 7, a charge of wrongdoing against Paul, or at least some level of suspicion about him, because he says he preached God's gospel free of charge. He says somewhat sarcastically in verse 8, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And then verse 9, he, uh, he affirms again that he refrained from burdening them in any way. And at first glance, this might sound a little bit ridiculous, but I think that we can understand something of how this could be misunderstood by the Corinthian church. If, if Pastor Simmons comes back from vacation, and next Sunday uh, he tells you, uh, by the way, I've raised all of my financial support from another group down in Maryland. Uh, please, I will not accept a salary from you anymore. You might, you might think there's something up. That might, that might seem uh, suspicious to you. Uh, you can see the super apostles, we know they were taking money. 
Uh, and uh, so you can see how perhaps there was a misunderstanding here where the Corinthians think something's wrong with the Apostle Paul. He's not behaving like these other, these other super apostles. They take money. Why isn't the Apostle Paul taking money? And they've misunderstood him. Paul's done it because he loves them. But they think it's because he's out to swindle them, to deceive them. They've misunderstood him. And because they've misunderstood him, they are tempted to reject him. And uh, these things happen, don't they? Pastors and elders and other kinds of teachers, they fail to meet our expectations. We're not very impressive. In the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, uh, looking good in any worldly metric is something that you give up to enter the door to get in. It doesn't look very good. I don't know of any OPC ministers who have private jets. Right, and of course, that's a good thing. We're going to talk more about the false teachers here in a moment. Uh, but uh, there, there can be temptation to be in, interacting with true teaching where the gospel of Jesus is being truly upheld and to reject it and to condemn it because of some outward circumstance that doesn't meet our expectations. And Paul urges the Corinthians not to do this with him in his ministry. We certainly ought not to do it with Paul in his ministry, and we ought to be cautious in doing it amongst ourselves as well. We should have our minds directed to true teaching and a pure, sincere devotion to Christ and to his gospel. And if this comes to us in a weak, outward form that is not impressive to us, we should be okay with that. I often think, as a pastor and in my ministry, I really do not want people to be impressed with me. I really want them to be impressed with Jesus. That's who should be impressive to you. Your Savior should be impressive to you. The weak vessels that God ordains to proclaim the good news of Jesus are not impressive. But Jesus, our Savior, He is impressive. He loves us and He saves us and He secures an eternal redemption for us. So as you stand firm in the gospel, be slow to abandon true teachers. And you see two marks of true teachers here in Paul's ministry. They do two things. One, verse 11, they love you. What they do in their ministry and in their teaching is done in love. Paul uh, affirms his love for the Corinthians. His love for them is what motivates all of his ministry to them. And what is Paul doing in his ministry from verses 4 through 6? or four through five, excuse me, he's giving them Jesus. The true teachers that you should be very slow to accuse or to reject or abandon are the people that love you and they give you Jesus. If someone is loving on you and they're giving you Jesus, that's caused to work through misunderstandings and it's caused to excuse human weaknesses and frailties and things that don't look very impressive outwardly. And finally, the opposite is also true. Paul warns us that we ought not to be deceived by false teachers. We don't know too much about who these super apostles are. Uh, it's clear that they, are, uh, that they are not apostles of Christ. 
Right? Paul says that they are deceitful workmen, verse 13, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. So uh, these are not people who are preaching Christ in a biblical way, but we don't know what level of error they were in. Uh, we don't know if this was, uh, for example, uh, another example of the Judaizing party, such as Paul deals with in his letter to the Galatians, where there were, uh, where there were false teachers who were teaching that Christians also had to uh, be circumcised in order for, uh, for their faith to be genuine. Uh, we don't know. Uh, but we do know that they were deceitful. We know that they were influential within the Corinthian church. We know that they carried letters of recommendation from earlier in uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, letters of recommendation probably from even other churches. And they are uh, disguised as servants of righteousness in verse 15. So what can we, what can we learn from the text here about how to identify these, these false teachers? Well, the implication in their contrast with Paul is uh, that they are focused on outward worldly credibility. Right? So they are, uh, they are making money off of their ministry. Uh, Paul looks bad in comparison because he's serving the church and not taking a salary from them, refraining from burdening them in any way, verse 9. So these super apostles are, are taking in money. These are perhaps the, those ministers that do have the, the private jets and the multi-million dollar mansions. You don't have to think too long and hard to find examples of that in the modern day. These are uh, people who perhaps were more skilled in their, uh, in their speech and in the sophistry of the day, where they could make uh, better sounding rhetorical arguments, even though the content of their speech was uh, was compromised. Uh, these were uh, people who were presenting a different Jesus, a different gospel than the one Paul proclaimed. So these were people who, do, who did not love the Corinthians. They loved themselves. They were focused on outward credibility, and they were changing the substance of the gospel. If you want to watch out for false teaching, watch out for those marks. Watch out for uh, men and women who are pursuing outward worldly success and credibility. Watch out for uh, those men and women who are changing the substance of the gospel. And important to note here as well, there's a difference between a Christian who is a genuine Christian, even a Christian pastor or teacher, who is in error about something, and a false teacher. Right? So we, we don't get to say, well, everyone who disagrees with the Westminster Standards is a false teacher and we should reject them. That's, that's a wrong understanding of, uh, of what's going on here. You, there can be genuine Christians who are genuinely wrong about something and yet would not fall into this category of false teacher. Uh, right? If you look at the, the language that Paul uses to describe these people, these are false apostles... They are analogous to Satan, verse 14. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, so his servants also dis uh, disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Right? The, Paul is not talking about Christians who are genuine believers who have some errors in their theology or their practice. He's talking about the enemies of God, 
who are servants of Satan, whether they're consciously aware of that or not, who are false at their core. And their message is not one that is the gospel with a little bit of error. It is a different Jesus, verse 4. It is a different spirit, a different gospel. Satan would love for any of us to do this in any form. Just abandon Jesus. Add to his work, like in Galatians. Make it necessary to add on to his work, as if the work of Jesus is not sufficient. Or subtract from his work, as uh, many in the liberal church do, and they make Jesus' life all about being a moral, uh, ethical teacher who we should follow without any spiritual or historical realities behind his saving work as presented in the New Testament. I'll give you a couple of examples a little closer to home at the risk of getting myself in trouble. On the supposed left of this spectrum, right now, in-house, in Napark churches, a debate is going on. Is it okay to call yourself a gay Christian? Can you be a pastor and call yourself a gay Christian? I think adding an adjective to the word Christian shows a fundamental misunderstanding of what the word Christian represents. If you press that far enough, I think you wind up in a different a different gospel. Conversely, I've had a I've had brothers on the other side of the spectrum, so we say, I've had brothers tell me, in all sincerity, that, uh, that they believe that every officer in the OPC should be inquired as to their political voting history, and any OPC officer that has ever in their life voted for a Democrat should be brought up on charges and deposed. I don't say that in support of democratic politics. Please don't misunderstand me. Um, yeah, but right, the, you know, these ideas can start creeping in where we start, we start mixing the gospel with other things. And it doesn't start as outright false teaching. Those, those aren't necessarily false teacher, you know, watch out and abandon, those are servants of Satan kinds of things. But you can, start, you can start playing with the essence of the gospel. You can start adding on to it. You can start modifying it. And when you start doing that, you, lead down, you, you, you start down a road that has an, its end as destruction. Verse 15. And so as we walk together as Christians, we have to be continually engaged in this work of, uh, again, of chapter 10, verse 5, of taking all of our thoughts captive to Christ. All of the teaching that we receive, we have to take it back to the scriptures. We have to take it back to what God has said and examine it in that light. And that way, when we take a step off the path, it will simply be one or two steps off and we can course correct rather than veering off into destruction following false gospels and false teaching. See, brothers and sisters, the, the wonderful thing about being Christians and serving our God is that God speaks to us the truth. We're not left to our own devices as we are in other areas of life uh, to determine what's real and what's true. God tells us what's real and what's true about himself and about his son. 
And we can keep coming back to this, just as uh, the Corinthians presumably would have received this letter. We don't know. Uh, I, tend to, I tend to think that uh, they would have received this letter favorably, as it's been included in, in the New Testament and preserved for us, although that's a little bit speculative. Uh, but we certainly are to receive Paul's letters and to receive them favorably and to not abandon his ministry and to not chase after worldly glory, uh, but to humble ourselves, to content ourselves with the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified, for that is the message of salvation and the power of God to us who are sinners who need a Savior. And so, brothers and sisters, I encourage you as you... Uh, as you sift through all of the information that comes to you from the pulpit of the church, from uh, browsing the internet, from listening to the radio, however else information comes to you, when it concerns spiritual and moral realities, I encourage you to take those thoughts, take them back to the scriptures, examine them in its light. God is the one who uh, gives to us the truth. And in doing so, Uh, God will help us to have this sincere and pure devotion to Christ that he calls us to so that we will not be found abandoning the gospel, abandoning Jesus, being led astray by false teachers. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you do give us your word and your word is truth. We thank you for the Savior Jesus who has told us that he is the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to the Father except through Him. And so, Lord, uh, in this age of so much confusion and so much information turmoil, we thank You that You do give to us Your Word, that You even give to us uh, pastors and teachers and elders and evangelists and other resources among the brethren in the Church of Jesus, uh, that we can learn Your Word, that we can know it deeply, that we can... Uh, that we can examine what we hear and what we read and what we are taught. And we can examine it in light, not of the words of mere men, but of the very word of God. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us to do this, that we would, uh, that we would humble our thinking before you, that we would strive for a sincere and pure devotion to Jesus, and that we would examine everything that we think that we would take it captive to the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to reform and transform us in the renewal of our minds, that we might present ourselves as that holy and living sacrifice to you. And we, Lord, we thank you that this is the work of your spirit. We thank you for the salvation that we have in Jesus. And we ask that by the power of your spirit at work in us, we would not depart from it. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.